everyone. It's Sean Dubervac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Radical Research. Thanks for joining another episode of Techspansive. We're going to jump into some of the announcements from the Google Cloud Next conference. We'll then dive into our lightning round and highlight an interesting startup that we have talked about this week. Uh, so with that, let's jump into our top story. Google at their Cloud Next conference had a number of announcements, including the launch of an end-to-end AI platform. Uh, so essentially, the idea here is to be able to offer developers and data scientists an end-to-end service so they can build their AI models, they can test them, and then they can uh, deploy them. And I'll, and also part of this will I'll, will help in classifying some of the data that they would be using in those models. So a big announcement here to try to push AI further down the development track and get it used by, by more people in more places. Ross, do you have any initial thoughts on some of the announcements that came out of Google's Cloud Next conference? Well, a- AI is, you know, certainly their their trump card uh, in in the cloud space. I mean, that's uh, definitely where they uh, have the the strongest momentum, the greatest investment, um, because they are a smaller player in in the competitive. Uh, cloud race uh, for other things, they need to acknowledge um, that uh, cl- companies, customers are going to make other choices. So so they also had a, a private cloud, a hybrid cloud announcement uh, where they're going to allow customers to plug into uh, AWS or um, or Azure, uh, their, their Anthos uh, Hybrid uh, cloud architecture, but but it was a a very busy week for cloud AI uh, announcements in San Francisco. Uh, not only all of the announcements taking place at uh, Google Cloud Next, but uh, Qualcomm uh, also had some AI related announcements, including their first dedicated uh, cloud AI processor, the Cloud AI. 100, and this is a, an artificial intelligence accelerator that they claim is going to provide an order of magnitude uh, improvement in, in, uh, in the data center. Uh, and one of the reasons that they claim that they will have that advantage is because they are bringing all of their experience in doing mobile chips to, to this architecture. So, what are the benefits? Uh, lower electricity usage, uh, no need for heat sinks, you know, high degree of optimization on very low power requirements. So, so they view this as uh, their chance to really infiltrate the data center uh, because, uh, you know, a lot of the big customers are doing far more work in this area. They had Facebook and Microsoft uh, as uh, some of the companion, uh, some of the supporters of of this technology, some of their partners. Meanwhile, at Google Cloud Next, they had Intel uh, as as one of their key partners. Uh, So we can really see, you know, a lot of those partnerships lining up as uh, AI becomes one of the the key application drivers uh, in in the data center cloud. 
Yeah, they also announced a new phase uh, with their partnership with Salesforce, where they're essentially going to combine some of Salesforce data together with their chatbot technology and some of their AI tools to ultimately help customers and enterprises get a better understanding of the customer service experience and then improve that. Mm-hmm. So you you see them making these strategic alliances, strengthening these strategic alliances at the same time, trying to integrate more complete services into some of their their cloud offerings in order to remain viable and competitive and com- and compete with others. And it, and it's clear that it is driven by a desire to have analytics and insights as part of their cloud offerings. One of the uh, examples that Facebook gave that I thought was really interesting was using AI to help with interface design. Clearly, here's a company that could use uh, a good PR win. Uh, So one of the examples that they talked about was redesigning pages to enable charitable contributions and uh, they claim that AI helped them determine the optimum position in which to place the donation button. Uh, they said that A-B testing, which is the traditional way that user interface designers, or one traditional way that user interface designers help determine what, what is the optimal place to put things on a, um, on a web page or, or in, in an app, uh, only gets you so far. Uh, so they said they, they used AI to help construct this, um, uh, help construct this, this user interface for charitable, uh, giving. So th- this is something, you know, in terms of the core design of an app or, or a website, uh, that can in many cases be responsible for, for a huge share of, of a company's business. Uh, so, um, so it, it just goes to show how it's, you know, really, becoming a, a mainstream element of, of a cloud service. Yeah, and, and Google kind of tying some of those themes together also announced new AI tools that allow them to scan documents and take phone calls, search for products. So the ability to, to scan the text of a document and then classify that in a way that will enable businesses to make more informed decisions is, is interesting. So it's a mix of storing the data and also being able to analyze it and and redeploy it and mm-hmm. going as far as to your point creating models that um inform inform the decisions that the businesses are making so that they can make better informed decisions yeah and and uh, also at the Qualcomm event uh, not all the AI was happening in the cloud uh, they they do make uh, quite a few mobile chips uh, and they talked about how they were able to bring AI or more AI functionality down to their mid-tier of um, of smartphone chips to enable things like the uh, these night shot modes where uh, they can use AI to uh, greatly reduce the amount of so-called noise in, in a photograph. That's one of the problems with um, uh, low light photography is you get a lot of um, uh, a lot of um, distortion uh, because of, uh, of of you know the insufficient light, uh, but using AI functionality, they can identify that and create a far, uh, far more vivid photo in, uh, in, in very low light. Uh, so that, that was uh, one of the examples, uh, that they gave of how, uh, bringing AI down to chip, uh, the, the, the smartphone chip level is, is also highly complementary 
uh, to what uh, the, the work that's being done in the cloud. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a big push moving forward. I was talking with some this week about what's happening in factories and in manufacturing, and it's clear that AI is being pushed to the edges in those environments so that you could do some of those essentially predictions, some of those estimates and predictions where the device is so on on device ai and that's been a, definitely a big push for for qualcomm is to move some of that down to the device so you think about language translation wanting to be yep. able to do that do that in real time on the device as opposed to having to capture what's said move it to the cloud translate it bring it back to the device or or back to wherever this conversation is taking place if you can do it directly on the device then it can make for a much more fluid conversation so that's definitely a direction that that Qualcomm's taking this. There are pri- privacy advantages as well to keeping Definitely. it on the device. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so I think that friction is going to exist for a long time, for the next decade, if you will, certainly for the next several years, where we're going to continuously be pushing AI to the edge and moving it on device mm-hmm. to your to your point to make a better privacy experience and to make a more fluid experience. At the same time, there's a lot of things you're going to want to take advantage of at a, at a cloud level, especially when you're dealing with different data sources and you're trying to figure out which data will help improve your model specifications. Uh-huh. So uh, I believe that Google even showed some techniques that will allow you to um, essentially rate different data series for inclusion within certain models. And and that's actually a a pretty big challenge that businesses have. They have data that they're sitting on and they don't necessarily know whether it's useful. They don't know how they can redeploy it. So being able to automate some of that will hopefully allow more businesses to take advantages of AI. You also saw Google pushing in to greater use of video with respect to AI. So being able to take advantage of some of what's happening. And I think that's a big area. If you think about retailers and others, they've got CCTV cameras where they're capturing footage in stores. And if they could use that information to make better product placement or better store designs, even looking at what type of products are picking up attention from customers as they go through the store, where are the aisles that are getting the most attention. We've always thought about in caps and other places like that because of the the traffic flow, but AI will allow us to get even more specific about how we lay out stores and which products go where. Uh, Some fascinating applications there for matching uh, facial recognition and uh, computer vision and AI. Uh, Recent story about how Affectiva, uh, which is a company that combines many of those elements, uh, just got some funding uh, recently. I had seen them present uh, in the past on their work with, uh, with focus groups and how they were able to pick up micro-expressions, small changes in, in people's uh, expressions and, and derive emotional responses from that in response to plot points in a TV show or movie or particular actors in a plot point in, in, in a, a TV show or movie, perhaps a commercial 
uh, and how uh, their customers, uh, the studios, the content producers, had made changes based on that, uh, that input. Uh, but this article was about their ability to detect uh, emotions by reading the faces of drivers. You know, we talk so much about the shift to driverless cars, uh, but people will be behind the wheel for some time to come. And uh, if the car or the technology in the car can have a better idea of the state of mind of the driver, uh, then it can make uh, adjustments or, or perhaps uh, guide, you know, try to figure out some way if, say, the driver is uh, upset, you know, or angry to to get that person to calm down a bit uh, with the implication, of course, of, of making their journey a lot safer. Yeah, and if you think about pushing that even further out as we start to move into environments with self-driving vehicles, and I recognize we're we're moving further out along that time horizon. But but when you get there, being able to identify the emotions that one is feeling inside of that vehicle and then adjusting the environment, changing the color, changing the content, changing music that's being listened to. That was something we saw a lot of people experimenting with at CES. Once you've satisfied the technical needs of self-driving vehicles, what do you start to do with the experience and the internal experience that the customers are having in the vehicle? I've seen some very cool demos uh, from Harman, uh, the Mm -hmm. uh, car audio company that uh, Samsung purchased a a while back. So uh, some very cool applications. There are also a lot happening with displays uh, inside the car, the console, the cluster. We'll we'll be seeing some big changes there in in the next two to three years. And then if you look at the announcements Google made this week with, as I noted, their auto ML video intelligence, which which is in beta for now, but allows one to automatically annotate and tag video so that you can recognize it and then make it searchable, be able to classify that video content. You could imagine that um, once you have data sets large enough of what's going on inside the vehicle, you could start to build models from it and then use it to to predict outcomes and to help predict what type of environments are most, most conducive for certain aspects or certain experiences. So if we start to do more shopping in our cars or more gameplay or more communication, then we'll probably learn that through analysis of all the video that's that's being captured. Mm. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating new setting for consumer computing communications. Yeah. So, yeah. So we'll see what comes in the years ahead as uh, more companies start to employ AI once they've built up data sets and organized data sets and and we'll uh, lots of exciting things to come as you know. So now let's roll into our lightning round. We've got three stories we thought we'd cover. The first up is YouTube. Uh, we've talked a lot about YouTube in recent episodes and this week we saw that YouTube TV is raising its price to $50 per month for all of its customers. That's an increase as much of 40 as much as 43% depending upon your existing package. So we've seen a pretty big price increase from YouTube. Ross, what's your quick take? Too early. Uh, I, I think in making such a, a massive price increase this this early in, in offering the service after they've done this big ad push to try to uh, do customer acquisition, uh, it's it's really going to leave a bad taste in, in the mouths of a lot of the 
early adopters and perhaps drive them to skinnier bundles. How about you? Well, I think, you know, you take a skinny bundle and you start to add a bunch of content to it and you add some original content and some other channels. <laughs> and pretty soon it looks a lot like a big bundle and it looks like a cable bundle and it has a price price a price point that resembles other bundles. And I think that's going to be the constant friction that exists here. You want to create a skinny bundle, but then what ends up happening is customers want other content. And so you try to deliver. And as you deliver, your bundle grows as does your your acquisition costs and therefore your, the price you're going to charge. Story number two, Acer announced a new sub-brand called Concept D. Ross, I know you were at the event that uh, that launched this, the Acer event there in New York. It's a line of computers really designed for creatives, a premium computing line. Ross, what was your quick take and your hands-on experience? So essentially, this is a... Um, they, they took their high-end gaming PCs and said that, according to their research, a lot of people who buy gaming PCs aren't actually using them for gaming. They're just buying them because they're very powerful laptops uh, and they're using them for creative work. So that is the target customer for this. And, um, you know, they just kind of, uh, let's say, uh, uh, turned down the testosterone level on, uh, on, the, on the design. Uh, but they're, they're still kind of beefy, clunky machines. I mean, they've got very high-end, you know, top-of-the-line Intel processors and very high-end NVIDIA graphics chips. So, uh, the uh, you know, so I, I think from a specs perspective, uh, it's going to be very competitive to the MacBook Pro, uh, probably on a value perspective, and, and that's who they're identifying as their main competitor. But from a an aesthetics perspective, no way. I mean, <laughs> they may look... Uh, a bit more refined than than Acer's Predator PCs, uh, but unquestionably they're you know they're pretty cl- chunky uh, chunky machines. <laughs> I think this is what happens when any category matures, and certainly the PC category is very mature. Is that you start to segment as much as you can into very well specified narrow markets, and so this is Acer's attempt to go head-to-head with Apple and try to attract some attention from creative markets. And even if they're only marginally successful, it could be very successful for Acer if they're able to move Mm -hmm. some of their gaming PCs into the hands of creatives, be able to charge a premium price for premium product. That in and of itself would be a huge win for for Acer. Big big branding win, for sure. Yes. Story number three of our lightning round. Apple Podcasts is set to get a rehaul on the web with a new design. It will have a dedicated podcast.apple.com URL, and you'll be able to do web playback. You'll see more individual episode details. Ross, your quick take on this uh, news for, around well, Apple Podcasts. Well, I'm, I'm happy to see this. I'm happy to see things move out of iTunes, which uh, is, is kind of a content jail. Um, you know, make, making it more accessible on the web opens it up to non uh, uh non-desktop users uh you know you don't need to have the app installed so um uh, so i think it, it will also help discovery for uh people who produce podcasts uh, such as ourselves and, and perhaps what apple is seeing is that podcasts and music go hand in hand they've they've 
Apple's always had a pretty strong presence in podcast playback. Clearly, they're making big push in in uh, in the uh, audio space, which we talked about last week. And tying those things together, they they're seeing the the need to to your point have a have a strong web presence for that. Maybe to compete against some of the moves that Spotify has made in in recent weeks. Yeah, we've, now, we've spoken about that a lot. Yeah. yeah. Now, if only we could get iMessenger to move out of the. Uh, Good luck. Uh, iPhone, iTunes. <laughs> yeah. um, well, that that concludes our lightning round for this week. And now on to our startup. This week, we thought we would highlight a company called Guru, which is a monthly subscription service that essentially helps match students with tutors. And it helps look at your needs, pinpoint your learning styles, and really tries to customize the match. Uses AI, of course, as everything does these <laughs> days, uh, to, to help find the right tutor for you. Uh, to me, this is a really interesting approach where we see platforms being built to try to overcome areas where we might have some market failings. You're looking for a tutor for, say, something like Japanese, but you're looking within your market and and not having much luck. This is a platform that will help you find the tutor you're looking for for Japanese. And I think they cover some 300 different categories. So you could um, find that. I know with kids in at, at all three levels of schooling today, I've got elementary, middle school, and high school, I'm constantly seeing parents looking for tutors for a variety of different things. And so this is an interesting approach. It, it also reminds me of something like Upwork, where you're paying one platform uh, a monthly subscription price, and then you're able to contract and get the, um, the needs that you need in the physical world. So again, kind of blurring the lines between what's happening in a physical world and what happens online. Yeah, and uh, guru uh, should not be uh, confused with the the word guru, G-U-R-U dot com, which was an early website that offered uh, freelancer services very similar to Upwork or, or Fiverr uh, these days. And uh, they guru dot the original guru.com went through a few iterations but they're still around uh and uh you know still still a thriving uh, freelancer community one of the things that struck me about this guru with with the o's uh is the flexibility so sean i, th- I think it'll you know, take some time to figure out how well they can meet the demand, uh, how many tutors they can line up with the expertise to meet such a, a diverse uh, group of, of demands and time slots. But but one aspect of it reminded me a little bit of the therapy website um, uh, Talkspace, uh, mm-hmm. in that uh, in on Talkspace, apparently, uh, if you don't, if you're not satisfied with the therapist that you've been assigned, you can just say, I want another one, you know, and it's nothing personal and it's, it's all about fit and poof, you know, uh, you don't have to give any feedback, but you know, you're like dynamically assigned a new therapist. Uh, I don't know how much AI does or does not go into that kind of matchup, uh, but uh, but it's it's kind of good that it it takes the um, in, in some cases it's kind of good to take some of the uh, confrontation 
uh, out of um, out of you know switching switching service providers. I, I guess that's especially true if you're dealing with kids. Well, and especially true if you're dealing with them in person. So this is you know slightly different than other online services that we take advantage of because this matches you with somebody who will show up at your home ah. or meet you at the library, and so okay. you're actually seeing them. Uh, in, you know, in person and, and getting those tutorial services. So I think it's going to be even more challenging for them to, you know, we'll, we'll see how, we'll have to see how close the matchups are um, because, you know, now, now you're of course dealing with geography in addition to uh, all the subject expertise and time slot requirements that uh, the, the requester may request and you know that that makes it very different than upwork and fiverr and talkspace which, yeah. which are all online yeah well and maybe for the tutors it actually provides them some uh some coverage as well the sessions are very well mapped out they're 90 minutes long minimum session time is is 60 minutes so they and, productized and, it a little better yeah. yeah so they they standardized it so that you as the tutor can avoid some of these unique requests that you might get and you're able to mm -hmm. um you know have it but you could imagine if it does involve a lot of travel so geography becomes important if it does involve a lot of travel you end up with these deadhead miles and this is a big issue for other digital platforms that are providing physical services like uber and lyft where you've got drivers that are being moved around cities to take advantage of peak demand and so they they're forced to do these deadhead miles where they're not being paid, but uh, you're trying to queue them up to create a better network, a better network mm -hmm. experience. Uh, so just an interesting concept and, and application of building a digital platform to deliver a physical good. And we'll probably see this show up in a, a lot more places. Obviously, uh, transportation like Lyft and Uber, and we've got an, an IPO from Uber coming up. We just had one from Lyft. Those have been early to the market, but we'll probably see a lot more. And you can think about anywhere that you need a physical service, this might start to show up. I'm surprised things like, uh, we haven't seen more of this, and I'm sure they're out there, but we haven't seen more aggregation that takes place with respect to home repairs or home cleaning. Or, well, well, there's Home Advisor and Handy, right. which, which yeah. they just bought. Tackle, I think, is another one. T-A-K-L. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I was, I was just about to mention that anyway, because I, I think it's interesting that tutors, I mean, it is a little bit like Uber in that some people, you know, it's popular sort of part-time side gig kind of thing. And it, it's interesting to see how the full spectrum uh, of of um, gig economy websites and services is evolving where you've got uh, very generalized errand type things like TaskRabbit. You've got this middle tier uh, of, you know, ride sharing and, and you know, tutors and, and things like that. And then, of course, you have, you know, professional contractors like like HomeAdvisor um, and, you know, Avo for lawyers and, uh, all, all of those kinds of uh, directory almost services. So yeah, it's interesting that transportation has been the one that that's been s successful thus far. I mean, Upwork, I would argue, has been very successful in in that space in, in diversified contract needs and mm -hmm. fiber as well. Uh, but 
Uber and Lyft transportation seem to be the ones that have have really caught on the most. And maybe it's because it's a very quick connection. It's productized productized uh, to some extent, as you noted. Then the relationship ends, the business relationship ends as you get out of the, the car. It'd be interesting to see if others can be as successful. I, I think, uh, yeah, it, it should expose more uh, more services. Uh, so that's a that's a good thing. Good. Well, thanks for joining another episode of Techspansive. Again, I'm Sean Dubervac from Avrio Institute, and you can find me on all the social platforms at Sean Dubervac. And uh, I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me at least on Twitter uh, at Ross Rubin. Look forward to having you join us next week for another episode of Techspansive. In the meantime, definitely share with your friends and give us a, uh, a five ranking on any of the platforms that you listen to us on. Like the new web-based Apple That's podcast, right. perhaps. Check it out. Though, for both Ross and I, the new URL has, not up is and not, running just not yet. Not up and yeah. running quite yet. So, hopefully, by the time you hear this, yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next week.